Jai Radha Madhava Kunja Bihari Jai Radha Madhava Kunja Bihari Jaya Gopi Chana Pala Pha Kiribar Dhari Jaya Gopi Chana Pala Pha Kiribar Dhari Yashoda Nandana Prajitana Ranjana Yashoda Nandana Prajitana Ranjana Yamuna Tiravanachari Yamuna Tiravanachari <coughs> Jaya Radha Madhava Kunja Bihari Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Chandiradha 
Jaya Jaya Prabhupada 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 Jaya Jaya Prabhupada Shri Shri Radha Katachanji ki jai Shri Shri Jagannath Baladev Shri Mati Subhadra Maharani ki jai Shri Shri Gornidai ki jai Shri La Prabhupada ki jai Samaveta Bhaktivinda ki jai Grantaraj Srimad Bhagavatam ki jai All glories to the assembled devotees All glories to Srila Prabhupada Om Vishnu Padaya Okay. Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Pristaya Bhutale Srimate Bhakti Vedanta Swaminiti Namine Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pacharine Nervasesha Srinyavadi Pasajadi Shatanine This is Donna Kaley Devi Dasi visiting and doing the Srimad Bhagavatam class this morning. So today... We're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter 3. Krishna is the source of all incarnations, and we're on text number 30. So 1, 3, 30. So please repeat. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Okay, text number 30. Janmaguyam Bhagavato Please repeat. Janmaguyam Bhagavato. Oh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong verse. Sorry, text 30. Itad Rupam Bhagavato. Itad Rupam Bhagavato. Kya Rupasya Chidatmana. Kya rupasya chidatmana Mayaguna virachitam Mayaguna virachitam Mahadadibir atmani Mahadadibir atmani Etad rupam bhagavato Ya rupasya chidatmana Mayaguna virachitam Mahadadibir atmani Okay, word for word synonyms. Please repeat. Etat all these. Rupam, forms. Bhagavata, a 
the Lord. He certainly, arupasya, of one who has no material form. Chit-atmana, of the transcendence. Maya, material energy. Gunai, by the qualities. Virachitam, manufactured. Mahatadabi, with the ingredients of matter. Atmani, in the self. Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada. The conception of the Virat universal form of the Lord as appearing in the material world is imaginary. It is to enable the less intelligent and neophytes to adjust to the idea of the Lord's having form. But factually, the Lord has no material form. Purport. The conception of the Lord, known as the Vishvarupa or the Varat Rupa, <clears throat> is particularly not mentioned along with the various incarnations of the Lord, because all the incarnations of the Lord mentioned above are transcendental, and there is not a tinge of materialism in their bodies. There is no difference between the body and self, as there is in the conditioned soul. The Virat Rupa is conceived for those who are just neophyte worshippers. For them, the material Virat Rupa is presented, and it will be explained in the second canto. In the Virat Rupa, the material manifestations of different planets have been conceived, as his legs, hands, etc. Actually, all such descriptions are for the neophytes. The neophytes cannot conceive of anything beyond matter. The material conception of the Lord is not counted in the list of his factual forms. As Paramatma, or Supersoul, the Lord is within each and every material form even within the atoms. But the outward material form is but an imagination, both for the Lord and for the living being. The present forms of the conditioned souls are also not factual. The conclusion is that the material conception of the body of the Lord, as Virat, is imaginary. Both the Lord and the living beings are living spirits and have original spiritual bodies. End of Srila Prabhupada's purport. Translation of the text again. The conception of the Bharat universal form of the Lord as appearing in the material world is imaginary. It is to enable the less intelligent and neophytes to adjust to the idea of the Lord's having form. But factually, the Lord has no material form.
So this may seem a bit confusing when we are reading about the Virat Rupa. The Virat Rupa is the gigantic form of the material manifestation conceived of as a body of the Virat Purusha, the universal person. Here, we're hearing that this conception of the Virat form of the Lord is imaginary. So that immediately makes us think that somebody just made this up. It's there's a product of their fertile brain, and it's just imagination. It doesn't have any actual standing in reality. It's not real. Um, in the purport, Prabhupada said that it's not factual. So we actually need to understand the definitions of these words because there's a subtle but significant difference between these words of such, you know, the vocabulary, real, fact, imaginary, illusion. So, for example, in logic, you can have a sentence. Uh, if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. So that's a real sentence. It's a real statement. It actually exists. Right? I said it and you heard it. So there, it exists. But it's not a fact. Or, excuse me, but it is, and it's also a fact. We all know from math, right? If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. But now let's say we make another sentence. The following statement. If A equals B and B equals C, A does not equal C. Well, that is equally a real statement. It exists. It is not an illusion. It actually exists, that statement. But it's not a fact, meaning it's a false statement. You get a red mark. If you put that on your math exam, you're going to get a big red X through it. That's a false statement. So it's not considered a fact. And... Its conclusion that A therefore doesn't equal C is imaginary. That's an imaginary conclusion because in reality A does equal C. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. So here we're hearing that the Virat conception of the universal form of the Lord is imaginary, it's not factual. What that means is that this is not the real form of the Lord. This chapter is called Krishna is the source of all incarnations. And we read about perhaps two dozen uh, verses that briefly introduced different forms of the Lord. Uh, we had Purusha avatars and 
Leela avatars and Manvantar avatars and Yuga avatars and Guna avatars and Shakti Avesh avatars, all sorts of different forms of the Lord were discussed in this chapter. But interestingly, after the concluding verse, um, this is verse number 26, um, concluded that the incarnations of the Lord are innumerable, like the waves on a river. You can't count them. So therefore, we're not going to continue uh, enumerating the different incarnations of the Lord because it would go on at infinitum. But despite the fact that all these incarnations are innumerable, Krishna's to Bhagavan Svayam, Krishna is the original form, the original source of all these other forms and incarnations. So we hear from Brahma Samhita also, Lord Brahma says that Edvaitam Achutam Anadam Anantarupam Adyam Purana Purusham Navayovanam Chavadesha Durlabhama Durlabham Atma Bhakto that the Lord indeed has unlimited, uncountable forms, yet they are all one in the sense that they are all of the same identical transcendental spiritual energy without a tinge of matter in them. But this Virat form which is being called imaginary or not factual, is actually a material form of the Lord. And in the purport, Prabhupada nicely explained why do we consider it then as not factual. It is a form of the Lord's, but we consider it not factual. And he compared it to the forms of the living entities. Here we are, and we all have a material form which we wrongly identify with, but this material form is not considered the factual form of the living entity. It's the imaginary form of the living entity in the sense that we imagine that this form is me. Misidentifying ourselves with that external form. Similarly, the Supreme Lord's Bharat Rupa form is not his real form. Rather, his form is purely spiritual. So that's what it means when it says that the Bharat Rupa is imaginary or non-factual. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And it doesn't mean that the Lord is a product of matter. It simply means it's an external form <clears throat> manifested for a particular reason. So, Prabhupada mentioned that in the second canto, the Bharat Rupa would be discussed. So there's one verse here. Uh, in the first chapter of Canto 2, uh, chapter uh, text number 24, Shukadev Goswami is speaking to Parikshit Maharaj. And that chapter, Canto 2, chapter 1, is called the first step in God-realization. So, Prakshit Maharaj, just 
asked a really important question. He just asked, please tell me what one should hear about, chant, glorify, and worship, and what one should not do. And Shukadeva Goswami thanks him for his question, and he says, yes, the subject matter of this question is the prime subject matter for all persons to hear. And he said that by hearing and glorifying the forms and qualities and pastimes of the Lord, uh, that this was the perfection of life, because then, ante narayana smriti, one could remember the Lord at the time of death. So then he tells Parikshit Maharaj, now I shall recite Srimad Bhagavatam to you. Because <clears throat> Parikshit asked, well, please explain how, what the conception should be to meditate on the Lord. We hear ante narayana smriti, we should be meditating on the Lord at the time of death. Could you please elucidate what is the conception of the Lord one should meditate on? And Shukadeva Goswami says, yes, I will recite Srimad Bhagavatam to you as I've heard it. And what does he do? He does not start describing the beautiful Shamasundar form of the Lord. He does not start describing the leelas of Raja Krishna, he starts with this, Canto 2, Chapter 1, the first step in God-realization. And what is that? The Virat Rupa. So text 24 there, in that chapter, he says, this gigantic manifestation of the phenomenal material world as a whole is the personal body of the absolute truth, wherein the universal resultant past, present, and future of material time is experienced. So I'm just going to read a little bit of the purport, some excerpts. Prabhupada comments, The phenomenal manifestation of the gigantic universe is only a part of his Virat body. Less intelligent men cannot conceive of the transcendental all spiritual form of the Lord, but they are astounded by his different energies. The Asuras cannot recognize the existence of the Lord, although there are vivid descriptions of the Lord in the revealed scriptures, although the Lord incarnates and exhibits his uncommon strength and energy, and although he is accepted as the Supreme Personality of Godhead by learned scholars and saints. The Asuras do not accept any evidential proof from the revealed scriptures, nor do they recognize the authority of the great Acharyas. They want to see with their own eyes at once. We get that all the time, right? Well, can you show me, God? Therefore, they can see the gigantic body of the Lord as Virat, which will answer their challenge, and they can offer respect to the Virat Rupa. The Virat Rupa manifestation of the Lord is simultaneously a challenge to the atheist and a favor for the Asuras, who can think of the Lord as Virat and thus 
gradually cleanse the dirty things from their hearts in order to become qualified to actually see the transcendental form of the Lord in the near future. This is a favor of the all-merciful Lord to the atheists and gross materialists. So here Prabhupada is explaining the Bharat manifestation of the Lord is a challenge to the atheists who say there is no God and to the asuras who want to challenge that show me God with my own two eyes I want to see God. So this Bharat Rupa is a form of the Lord for such unfaithful persons to meditate on. I wanted to look at one more verse that appears in the third canto, chapter 6, text 4, and a short purport. The translation says, When the 23 principal elements were set in action by the will of the Supreme, the gigantic universal form, or the Vishvarupa body of the Lord, came into existence. Purport, the Virat Rupa, or Vishvarupa, the gigantic universal form of the Lord, which is very much appreciated by the impersonalist, is not an eternal form of the Lord. It is manifested by the supreme will of the Lord after the ingredients of material creation. Lord Krishna exhibited this Bharat or Vishvarupa to Arjuna just to convince the impersonalists that he is the original personality of Godhead. Krishna exhibited the Virat Rupa. It is not that Krishna was exhibited by the Virat Rupa. The Virat Rupa is not, therefore, an eternal form of the Lord exhibited in the spiritual sky. It is a material manifestation of the Lord. Now, here's an interesting point here. Many devotees get a bit bewildered on this point that, well, this, this doesn't seem proper. We say that the Virat Rupa is a form of the Lord, yet we're saying it's material. Now, isn't that like a contradiction? Because the Lord's form is never material. And Prabhupada's explaining that it's temporary. How can the form of the Lord be temporary? So here in the his purport, Prabhupada makes a very nice um, elucidation. He says, the Archavigraha, or the worshipable deity in the temple, is a similar manifestation of the Lord for the neophytes. But in spite of their material touch, such forms of the Lord as the Virat and Archa are all non-different from his eternal form as Lord Krishna. So we're all obviously educated and trained that when we see the deity and serve the deity, we don't consider, oh, it's a statue. Oh, marble, wood, metal, or something. We don't look at the Archavigraha as a product of matter. We see the Archavigraha as the Supreme Lord. Yet here it's explained that just as the Archavigraha is a material manifestation of a form of the Lord, so is the Virat Rupa. So in that way, the Virat Rupa, like the Archavigraha, is a form of the Lord, but made of matter and therefore not eternal. And what is the purpose of it? 
Well, the impersonalists, they can't even accept the fact that God has a form. The impersonalists accept only that God is not confined to a form. God has spread out into everything. Like pantheism. Pantheism means God is the universe and the universe is God. There's no separate entity called God. The universe is, that is God. So they can't conceive of a personality with a personal form. So this Bharat Rupa form then, uh, which is going to be explained in the first couple of chapters, you know, at the beginning of Canto 2, um, is a means by which such impersonalists or those of us who might be quite inclined towards pantheism, it's an exercise for us to be able to start conceiving of a personal form of the Lord. So there we're going to hear that different planetary systems comprise different parts of the body of the Virat Purusha, that the rivers are like his veins and the trees are like the hairs on his body, the sun and moon are like his eyes, etc., etc. Just to start thinking of a personal form of the Lord. So in one sense, then, we would not discourage people who say, I find God in nature. I find God in the natural world. We wouldn't discourage that, but we would encourage that they improve their, you know, appreciation or even worship of nature and bring it up a notch by introducing the teachings of Srimad Bhagavatam. That really? You're a pantheist? Fantastic. Did you know Srimad Bhagavatam is the original, you know, ancient text on pantheism? And then we can bring them to a higher stage. So we should be very careful not to just, you know, skip the whole discussion. And there's a lot of discussion In the second canto, there will be discussion. In the third canto, there will be discussion. When we come to the fifth canto, when it gets all into the cosmology, um, well, that's basically discussion of the Virat Rupa in great detail. So we shouldn't skip all that and just jump over to the tenth canto and Krishna's leelas because the reason um, Shukadev Goswami is explaining to Prakshit Maharaj this Virat Rupa conception of the Lord, because he says that by meditating on the Virat conception, all the dirty things within one's mind, within one's heart, are cleansed. And unless and until one has a cleansed mind, one can never meditate on the spiritual, eternal forms of the Lord. Premanjana Churita Bhakti Valochanena Santa Sadaivahida Yoshevaloki Yanti Yamsham Asundra Machintya Gunasarupam Govindamadi Purjam Tamaham Bajami. That those who study the Vedas um, and come up with a monistic conception of God, they can never understand what to speak of see the eternal form of the Lord. But those who have their eyes tinged with the salve of love, for them, atma bhakto, it's extremely easy to understand 
conceive of, and even perceive the personal form of the Lord. So that's why Shukadev Goswami, even though Parikshit has seven days to live, there's not a minute to waste. He does not jump to the 10th canto. Why? Because he cares for his student. He's not there to entertain his student, to flatter his student, to have the student flatter him or think highly of him. He is there to actually bring his student who's about to face death. He's there to bring that student from the point where he is now to the point of absolute perfection, where with a completely cleansed, absolutely cleansed heart, he can conceive of and meditate upon and perceive the transcendental name, form, qualities, and pastimes of the Lord. Therefore, Shukadeva Goswami shows himself as a bona fide spiritual master by going through the trouble, if you will, of describing the Virat Rupa, the activities of the Purush avatars in the process of creation, maintenance, and destruction of the universe. And gradually through nine cantos, Shukadeva brings Prikshit to the point of Braj Leela, when Prikshit's mind has been completely cleansed of all material conceptions and attachments and anartas, then he's fit to hear Krishna's Braj Leela. So maybe we'll stop there and see if there's any questions or comments. So Narutamananda Prabhu, you have something to say into the microphone? <laughs> okay. Hey Krishna, there we are. So thank you so much, Mother Dhani Kelly, for giving a nice class. It's really nice to have both of you here. Yeah, um, I have a comment and then I have two questions. But when Prabhupada was here... In Dallas, he gave this example. He said, just like we have a hard thumbnail and then a soft, fleshy part of the thumb, but we just accept it as one, you know, part of ourselves. We don't really distinguish between the hard nail and the soft. So he was saying that for Krishna, he doesn't distinguish between the material and the spiritual energy. For him, all energies are his potencies. So I thought, you know, that kind of applies in this case with mm-hmm. the deity and the Virat Rupa and Krishna himself. Um, but my question has to do with, um, there was a popular Mayavadi who had come to um, America. This is some years ago. And uh, it was like um, the devotees were invited to the program. And so when he was speaking... He asked the question to the audience. He asked the question, um, why do you want to become like the Hare Krishnas? They will just teach you to become servants. He said, if you follow me, I will teach you how to become the master. And everyone starts applauding. So beyond that, you know, that, that kind of simple, um, you know, acceptance of the Mayavadis, there seems to also be, um, you know, some real, you know, debate that's provoked 
in that environment. But that's my question. I mean, how would you respond to this Mayavadi? Would you say, well, I, I accept pantheism, I accept your impersonalism? Well, and that's the fact that he said, I will teach you how to become a master. The master. The master. God. Yeah, uh, is proof right there that he's not actually a bona fide even Mayavadi. Because how am I going to be the master unless I have something or somebody around me who is my subject? Just like I cannot be a parent unless I have a child. It's all relative. You can't be the boss, the employer, unless you have an employee, isn't it? You can't be the audience unless there's a performer or a speaker on stage. So when he says, I will teach you to be the master, well, the master of what? Certainly not the master of others because he's teaching every single student in the room to be the master. So what are you going to be the master of? So their whole philosophy falls apart because they can't speak without using relative terms and dualistic concepts. It's an untenable philosophy. It's not practical. It's not practicable. It's not possible to put in words. As soon as they put it into words, they've destroyed their philosophy, actually. Because they're using adjectives and, you know, you can't do that. In so you're saying that the, the Mayavad philosophy is, um, what should I say? That um, There's only one. In it's self-defeating. It's self-defeating because there's only one. So if there's only, you know, let's just like one time devotees told Prabhupada, that there was an author who wrote a book saying, you should just follow yourself. You shouldn't follow others. And Prabhupada quipped, oh, but he wrote a book to tell you to follow his instruction, not to follow others. Right? Or somebody wrote a book and said, you don't find knowledge in a book. You find knowledge within. But he wrote a book to tell you that you don't read books to find knowledge. Yeah, it's just, but less intelligent people become all gaga goo goo eyes over it. Oh, wow, they're speaking so profoundly and eloquently. They're speaking so high that I can't even understand it. One time we were at the Northern Illinois University with a book table, and one boy came up to the table, and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm into all this stuff, you know. And he said, I'm familiar with the Hare Krishnas. I've met Hare Krishnas before. And I kind of think Hare Krishnas are kind of fanatic, you know. So I follow another guru. And, you know, he, I follow his philosophy. And he said some guru's name, you know. And I did what Prabhupada said to do. That when somebody says, I follow Swami so-and-so, even if they're a famous person, you say, Swami who? I never heard of them. So I did like that. I said, so-and-so, you know, Swami who? Swami such-and-such? Oh, I never heard of him. What's his philosophy? That's what Prabhupada said we should do. We should say, Swami who? Huh, never heard of him. Hmm, what's his philosophy? And then you just attack the philosophy. You don't attack the person. So I said that to this boy. I said, Swami who? What's his philosophy? And then he was immediately like, well, you know, it's like, um, um, I mean, like, 
you know, like, it, it, it's like your philosophy, but it's different. Like, you know, like, um, well, you know, you can't really put it in words. And I said, you're following a philosophy that you can't put in words. Did he not use words to convey his philosophy to you? Yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's kind of like, well, you can't really put it in words. He kept saying that. You can't put it in words. And I said, well, how can you follow philosophy that you can't put in words? And then he got all upset. Oh, you Hari Krishnas are all the same. You're just a bunch of fanatics and you think you're right and everybody else is wrong. And then he walked away. But that's a, that, they're just revealing their silliness, actually. It's actually silly. How can anybody with half a brain follow how do you, and that, I, that was my point. How do you follow a philosophy that you can't explain? If you can't explain something, that means you don't understand it. If I ask you to explain some, you know, geochemical process, and you're like, well, I don't know, I never studied that in school, right? You can't explain it to me because you yourself don't understand it, right? So that's what I said to him. I said, if you can't explain it, that means you don't even understand it. So how do you follow a philosophy that you can't understand what to speak of, explain to others? And he got all upset because he got caught, right? He got caught. And, you know, he's been cheated. So that's what these, huh? Yeah, and he was like so proud that he was like this follower of this guru. So anyway, my point is every sentence they say reveals their uh, bogusness. <laughs> so you know, <clears throat> there, you know, with the with that, my body um, was trying to point out is that ultimately I'll teach you how to become the master, meaning we'll all merge and become you know this this mm-hmm. homogenized energy. Yeah, because right now we're competing with each other. I'm trying to be the enjoyer, the controller, the proprietor the benefactor of others. And by golly, you're also trying to do that. Maybe in a different way. You know, you've got like different flavors, how you like to enjoy. And then he's doing it in a different way and she's doing it in a different way. We're all the center. We're all the masters of our own little kingdom. I have my beautiful house where I have every room set up exactly the way I want it. I just push a button and that movie comes on. I push that button and the temperature is just right. And you're doing the same thing in your house next door. And as long as we put up a fence that we demarcate, that's your kingdom and this is my kingdom, that we don't feel like we're competing with one another. But in fact, we're competing with one another because there's only, only so many dollars in the world and... So many pieces of the pie, but there's more people than there are pieces of the pie, right? So we are competing with one another. So the Mayavadis, the monists, they're sick and tired of the competition. I can't win the Olympic gold medal if you win the Olympic gold medal. It's one of us, one or the other. It's not both of us. And there's no tie, So they're sick and tired of that competition. So they made up a new game. We're going to play a game where we all win. We all win. You become God and I become God. 
And he becomes God and she becomes, we're all going to become equally God, but we're not going to be competitor gods like in polytheism or something. We're all just going to melt into one and equally share the glory of becoming God. But you'll see, you know, people, you know, highly materially educated people, even I, we, we, we went to someone's home, their home was like a hotel. You know, they had like a waterfall coming down the wall that went into their dining room table and created like a pool of water in the table. It was that, you know, like just a, one yeah. aspect of this place. And in the middle of, we celebrated this Jamastami program at their home. And then in the middle of the program, the man stood up and started saying, I am God. I am God. And he started like going on explaining like how he was God. You know, and the proof of it was like his home is bigger than everyone else. He, you know, he could invite everyone over to his home to celebrate. Okay, but Krish, uh, Prabhupada explains that Bhagavan means not one who has the most beauty and riches and strength and fame and um, wisdom and renunciation, but he has all of it. You know, I can say I'm the most wealthy person on the planet, but I don't have all of the money because you've got at least a dollar in your pocket. That means I don't have it all. So Bhagavan means one who has it all. And you're allowed to borrow, you know, you get to borrow $5 from your parents, right? It's your father's money, but you're using it to go buy something. So, and then in this discussion of Virat Rupa, Prabhupada mentioned in a purport that Krishna showed the Virat Rupa to Arjuna, not for his sake, but for the sake of the Asuras. And um, the lesson was that, hey, Arjuna, if any person comes up to you and says, I'm God, or declares in the middle of a John Mashtami program, I am God, we should immediately shoot back with, could you please show your Virat Rupa? And that's just a inferior form of God, but to speak of manifesting, you know, the Svayam Bhagavan form. So they can go on and on and on and on and on. But somebody with half a brain in the audience should raise their hand and say, could you please show your Virat Rupa? And they might say something like, well, I don't feel like it right now. People seem to worship them because they are like in the mood of, yes, your God and I will also be God. Right. We emulate, we, we, we worship, right, and give reverence to that which we want to become. So you're giving me this wonderful dream, this wonderful promise that I can also become God. Because I've been frustrated for zillions of lifetimes in trying to be God, the enjoyer, the controller, the proprietor. And now you're giving me this nice promise that, guess what? You don't have to be part of the rat race anymore. You don't have to continue competing with others. You just accept this Mayavad philosophy, and when death comes, you're going to merge, and you will, you will finally get to be God. I mean, it's just, it's just such cheating, right? So therefore, Srimad Bhagavatam stresses from the very beginning... You know, to hear, chant, remember, worship that personality of Godhead who's the deliverer from all miseries and to hear from a bona fide spiritual master and to um, cultivate a 
service attitude. So if one doesn't have the proper attitude, you can talk to them till you're blue in the face and nothing's going to change. Therefore, the guru's not supposed to speak unless the student is qualified. You know, we don't need to waste our time with such people. We're out to rescue the innocent people that are getting cheated. We're not out there to try to convert the cheaters into being non-cheaters. We're out to find the cheated who are still innocent and protect them from the cheaters. You know, my other question has to do with this um, Virat Rupa explanation for atheists and, you know, materialistic people. And, um, but it seems to be, it seems to require a huge amount of faith as well as imagination. You know, the eyes of the sun and the moon, all these things. You know, I, I mean, if you were to bring that up, say, in a, in a, uh, conference on cosmology or creation or something, you know, with a group of university professors and students and everything, you know, they, they would just rip you apart. I don't really see, um, how, you know, um, this explanation of nature seems to be satisfying. It seems to Im- imply that you should just have faith and just be very, mm-hmm. you know, well, again, and just hallucinate yeah. that this is God. Well, that's, what, that's the point I'm getting at. Right. Like, it sounds like a hallucination, you know. Right. This is, you You understand. Right, you could make up anything. Right. Well, again, one can't be a student unless they have a Tao Shraddha, at least beginning morsels of faith in the person or the book that they're hearing from. So when you go to the university and you study, you know, cosmology and, you know, physics and whatever out there, uh, you have faith in those textbooks. You have faith in those professors. You might say, well, no, no, because I can back everything up that they say with my own observation. You have faith in the process of pratyaksha, that that is the limit of knowledge. You know, you can't go beyond what you can perceive directly, empirically. So, yeah, even to meditate on the Virat Rupa requires that the student is accepting a teacher and a book of knowledge. You know, what I would come back with is um, two things. One, when I talk to professors or or like high-level research scientists and or even students that are very astute, they base a tremendous amount of their analysis on faith. Like mm-hmm. there's no way they could do all those right. scientific Everything experiments themselves. And, and in fact, you're not even hearing from the person that's done the experiment. You're hearing many times from, you know, the person that's learned from the person, the person. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking like five to ten generations mm-hmm. now away from us. So that's one thing I feel like they do base their analysis on faith, you know, like what is a hydrogen molecule or have you ever seen an atom? You know, show me a picture of an atom on Google, you know, I mean, it's like, how do you know if it's based on... So those who are honest, they do admit, yes, that even in our field of empiricism, there's an element of faith, but those who are dishonest, well, you can't, just like Prabhupada said, if somebody's honestly sleeping, you can wake them up, but if they're dishonestly faking that they're sleeping, you can't wake them up. Come on, time to go to school. And they pretend they're sick and conked out, you know. Um, 
So the Majma, see, the Kanishta Bhakta, the Neophyte Bhakta, they just go out and preach to everybody and they don't know how to discern who's the proper audience and who's not the proper audience. Here's some guy coming up with all these challenging questions and being like almost offensive and the neophyte devotee just keeps arguing with them. Yeah, I'm going to smash them. I'm going to prove them wrong. you know. But the Majma Bhakta is more elevated and they know how to distinguish between four categories of living entities, between four persons. They see the Supreme Personality of Godhead. They see the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord. They see the innocent public that is just in ignorance and being cheated by the cheaters. They need to be rescued through logic, argument, scriptural, whatever, you know. And then they see the envious, the ones that aren't innocent, that are simply out there to claim that God is dead. We don't waste our time with them. We have to learn to discern members of the audience and save those who are capable of being capable of being saved, not those who are willfully keeping the anchor in so they can drown. So, you know, what I'm gathering is that what you're, what you're saying to us is that we shouldn't expect to change hardcore and personalist or some materialistic, you know, scientist. Um, it, it, that's not really our <clears throat> goal, or that's not really our mission. Our mission is to to understand, you know, who's innocent and mm-hmm. who's really, you know, open to learning. Now, so here's my question: In an environment like we're in now, where so much of what people base their understanding of reality upon comes from that research, that, you know, scientific research or whatever you'd like to call it, speculative research. Um, <clears throat> it seems we need a presentation that, um, you know, they may not agree with, but at least they can't rip it apart. Mm-hmm. Because the innocent people, <clears throat> they're saying, wow, well, that Hare Krishna just got ripped apart. You know, so, um, uh, so that's my question. Like, in other words, yeah. to what, you know, we, we can go on quoting that you should accept sun and moon as the eyes of God and all these things. And, but in a scientific, you know, environment, in an academic environment, it doesn't really seem to hold yeah, up. Yeah, so we don't do that. I would hope that no devotee would do that. Go into a, like a scientific or materialistic environment and start talking about how the sun and moon are the eyes of the Lord, and they try to explain the phenomenal world. But you were saying this is the, the beginning of the presentation. Well, this is the beginning of those students. This is this is Shukadev's discussion with Parikshit Maharaj. He said the first step in God realization for the inquisitive student, for that student who wants to uh, transcend. The matter, no, no, because Prabhupada mentioned in the purport that Parikshit asked the right questions and therefore Shukadeva was going to speak. But most people aren't even on that level. So when Prabhupada established the Bhaktivedanta Institute, the scientific preaching arm of the Hare Krishna movement, he did not ask his PhD scientists, disciples, to go out and convert 
you know, the scientists, the scientific establishment into Vaishnavas. He wanted his PhD scientist disciples to learn how to preach Krishna consciousness to the innocent public who is being, you know, cheated by the scientific establishment, how to teach the principles of Vaishnava philosophy to the innocent public from using scientific lingo and science, you know, like logic and argument, etc., so as to rescue those that are being cheated by the cheated. So the Srimad Bhagavatam already itself has an elaborate scientific system called the Sankhya philosophy. And in that Sankhya philosophy, there's a, you know, it's very elaborate. We can't go into that in this. It would take a whole seminar. But the Sankhya philosophy is the um, Bhagavatam's presentation on matter, how everything comes into being, the hierarchy of gross matter and subtle matter, and ultimately coming to argue from a scientific standpoint the existence of the soul. So we're not out there to just like take their theories and smash them. We're out there to learn what they're all saying out there so we can protect the innocent public and we can make presentations on the Sankhya philosophy. Thank you. You know, I wanted to bring up just one thing that crossed my mind as you were talking was... um, in Science of Self-Realization, Prabhupada gives this explanation of um, looking at uh, the basic necessities of life, just like the sunlight. You might recall this. So he'll say, just like the sun, without the sun we would be dead, we'd be frozen, right? So, But no one can manufacture the sunlight. Then he talks about air, he talks about water, he talks about, you know, the basic elements. And he was saying that empirically we have to admit, you know, even the simple ability to see, to speak, to think, all of this is coming to us by the arrangement of a higher transcendental power far beyond human capability to reproduce. So he was saying, you know, in in support of this Virat explanation from a scientific argument in terms of like a general in a mainstream society argument, um, I would say that, you know, that kind of satisfies me that, you know, we have to admit that there are things existing with that are empirically observable. We're seeing them with our own eyes. We're seeing the sun and all these things. And that we are maintained by these things. We're controlled by these things. So it seems that we have to admit scientifically that we are in contact with a higher power at every moment. Mm-hmm. Now, whether you want to call that God or just call that nature, but regardless, you have to admit that that's taking place. Right, and that's where pantheism comes in. And we might think, oh, pantheism, that's so uh, primitive and low, you know, really low level, you know. But sorry, there's a lot of people in this world who aren't even elevated to the level of pantheistic philosophy they they don't see oh the higher power or god or whatever you want to call it is the universe and the universe is also that higher power you know like the native americans were pantheists right but most 
there's a lot of people out there who are way below that. They are no better than animals. Your pet dog does not look at the sun and moon and start contemplating, oh, that represents a higher power. Your pet dog will never think like that. So similarly, unfortunately, uh, a lot of human beings, even they walk around on college campuses getting their PhDs, um, fall into that animal category. So again, we have to, you know, for those type of people, here, here's prasadam, shut up and eat. You know, just like you do with the animals. Here, take your prasadam and go. No philosophy. I hope you don't mind. Oh, it's getting late. Um, One thing I wanted to bring up was... um, you know, for myself, speaking from my own, you know, position or whatever, my own realization, I'm, I'm kind of tired of arguing. Like, very tired of it. Majma bhaktas don't argue. Yeah, like, I'm that just Kanishta not argue. And when an Uttama bhakta, he doesn't argue, but he, an Uttama bhakta can give the scriptural conclusion, logic and argument, and it totally defeats the audience, whether they admit it or not. They, they can't say anything. They're just defeated. Majma Bhakta, they can offer some argument and logic and scripture like that, but they're not so expert, you know. But a Kanishta Bhakta, they just go on arguing, you know, even though it's getting nowhere. In fact, it might be going downhill rapidly. They just are out there just, you know, just for the fight of it. They just like to fight with people. So we have to be really careful that we don't fall into that Kanishta Bhakta mentality when we go out. Well, that's my question. Like, you know, you kind of, like, directed us initially towards that, you know, like, being, like, what was the, it was kind of like, you know, you don't find love of God here in the Bhagavatam, in the beginning of the Bhagavatam, and, and um, you know, but on the other hand, it seems that's really the strongest you know, um, the, the the strongest, you know, element in our relationships that really bind us together, that draws forward. You know, someone um, someone might argue with me, and then I just like like the like that student. You know, oh, you Hare Krishna is your finesse, and just walk away, right? So, you know, to what degree do we actually bring out that love? Well, we do, because even here, when the Virat Rupa is being discussed, it's not mundane pantheism. So the Bhagavatam, you might say, oh, well, the Bhagavatam discusses pantheism. And we can kind of turn people on by saying, hey, this is the original book on pantheism, you know. But it's Achintya Beta Beta Tattva is our philosophy, not pantheism, not panantheism, not duality, not monotheism. It's achintya beta beta tattva. So when we present the pantheistic viewpoint given in Bhagavatam, we are simultaneously saying that this is non-different from, you know, the Supreme Personality who has his eternal transcendental form that can only be perceived through a service attitude. It's meant for simply purifying the mind so that we can totally accept this. Each student is different. You know, there's not going to be a pat formula how to talk to somebody. But the first step in speaking to somebody is to ascertain where they're at. What's their motive? 
are they asking sincerely or in a challenging way, you know? So, yes, the Bhagavatam may seem to be speaking about pantheism or panentheism, but not in a mundane way. It's always connected with Bhagavan, you know, the Bhakta, the Bhokta, and the Bhakti. Those are, elements are always there. The Supreme Lord, the Bhakta, and the devotional service. Even from speaking about Virat Rupa. Thank you so much. It's really, I think, you, you know, you're able to also explain things in a very um, simple but yet clear way with a lot of love. And I really appreciate that. Well, thank you for your question. All right, Krishna. Jai, anything else? Otherwise, we'll stop there and do text 31 tomorrow. Jai, Granthara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Srila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Mother Donna Kaylee, Kija.